I don't mind going to the dentist. Can we still be friends? Dentists are cool. I don't mind going to the dentist, um, and I think a part of that is because I don't get cavities very often. Can we still be friends? Um, when I was a late teenager, they put these things on my, my molars called resin caps. I think that's what they're called. I don't know if they're still called that. They put this, they paint this glop on your teeth, and then they shoot it with ultraviolet radiation so that it hardens up like a rock. And I didn't get any superpowers. I was really let down. I was like, I'm getting shot with UV. I should be, you know, shooting fireballs or triple backflips or, you know, impervious to gunshot wounds or something like that. I haven't tested all of those things, but it doesn't seem like anything happened. Um, Though usually there needs to be a reactor core meltdown for the real superpowers to come down. So hoping and praying, hoping and praying. Anyhow, um, went to the dentist the last couple of weeks. Had a good good little meeting there. Um, Teeth are clean. And I was coming out, and I ran into uh, Dave and Edith's daughter, one of their, their kids there. And she was telling me, Dave and Edith are a couple from our church who we send out on missions fairly regularly, and they had just recently flown to Africa. And she was saying that their turbulence on the airplane was the worst they had ever experienced. And it was so bad that there were people screaming in the flight, and, and people were expecting, this is it, you know, this is... If there were any Christians on board, they were saying that they're see you in a minute prayers to Jesus. Does anybody ever do that? I do that during most takeoffs. It's kind of like, you know, okay, this could be it, Lord. So forgive my sins. It's been great. And I'll see you in a second. And uh, a bit of a lack of faith on my part, I'm sure. But um, hey, you know, if, if whatever. So they said it was so bad. People were screaming and, and just expecting to not make it, but they did make it. So it turned out to go from a bad experience into a great story. But uh, today I want to talk about going through turbulence, because um, I think that, you know, if you're if you read the news at all, that the world is going through some turbulent times. You may have noticed that. Um, even last Sunday, I think there was a mass murder that happened in Canada, which is just a painful, turbulent thing to read about and to know what happens. And so um, today I want to talk about going through turbulence. Turbulence is, as far as I understand it, Jeremy gave me a half head nod last sermon and didn't deign to try to educate me on it more thoroughly. But as I understand it, you know, when an airplane is flying through the air, um, it's kind of doing its best to go straight and level. But the fact that it's flying through air... Um, the air can move in whatever direction it wants to, due to updrafts, downdrafts, headwinds, tailwinds, whatever. The air is moving, so the airplane's trying to go f- steady, but everything around the airplane can move. And when the air is moving quite violently in one direction or another, or there's a sudden shift, the airplane moves with the air, and the people inside the airplane um, get to experience that which is why you are usually recommended to keep your seatbelt on at all times because you don't actually know when turbulence is going to hit. Um, So there you go. Turbulent times where you're just trying to live your life and the world around you is heading in unexpected directions and it's messing up your hairdo and your lunch and your stomach and possibly everything else. So what I want to do as we go through this message is I want to just walk through Luke, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 21. 
And this chapter is Jesus giving a prophetic word and instructions for his apostles about the destruction of Jerusalem. The destruction of Jerusalem happened in 70 AD. So Jesus is having this conversation somewhere around 33 AD. Um, AD is when Jesus was born. It's Latin for Anno Domine, uh, the year of our Lord. And so Jesus was important enough to hit reset on the calendar, which is true. The whole of human history is, uh, revolves around his birth and his works. And so when he was about 33 years old, he's having this conversation with his disciples and predicting the destruction of Jerusalem. And in the year 70 AD, it, was, it, it happened. Uh, there was a revolt in the year 66. As far as I understand it, I was just reading a, a book about this. Um, there had been some legal case in northern Palestine that, and it was kind of between Greeks and Jewish people, and the Jews lost and the Greeks won. And the Greeks celebrated their victory by going and ransacking Jewish quarters and just stealing and marauding. And so the Jewish people, and the Roman soldiers didn't do anything. Okay? The Roman soldiers who are ruling over Judea should have been ensuring law and order, but sometimes uh, you know, government officials turn the other way when they're not against the crimes that are happening. And so the Jewish people in that city regrouped and retaliated and killed all the Romans in the city, which started a revolt that lasted for years and didn't actually end until some standoff at a place I think called Masada, which was in 72 or 73. Gene, am I roughly? Okay, good. I depend on people's random head nods so much during messages. Anyhow, in the year um, 70 AD, the Romans had sent some of their best generals to go and put down this rebellion, and the Roman army had surrounded Jerusalem and gone through the process of finishing the obliteration of the city. And so it did happen. And so what Jesus is doing in this passage is he's prophesying that it would happen, as well as giving... um, theological and mental instructions for his disciples to go through this devastation. And it would be entirely devastating because the temple was the center of um, the worship of the true God for centuries and generations. There was a time when it was destroyed and then it was rebuilt again, but the temple was like where it was at. It was the most important building in the most important city in in the world for the worship of God. And so to have it destroyed would be major turbulence. Okay. It would be an event that just shook people. And so Jesus is trying to equip them to go through this crazy turbulent time in human history. And so we're going to go through this and I'm going to try to bear in mind that Jesus is talking primarily to the apostles and the first century disciples, but I'm going to draw stuff out of this for us today as we go through turbulent times as well. So the conversation about the destruction of the temple begins by people kind of admiring how beautiful the temple is. They're at the temple and people say this. This is verse 9. Sorry, verse 5 of chapter 21. And while some were speaking of the temple, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, Jesus said, as for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And they asked him, teacher, when will these things be? And what will be the signs when these things are about to take place? 
And he said, See that you are not led astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time is at hand. Do not go after them. And when you, when you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified of these things. Sorry, for these things must first take place, but the end will not be at once. So they're in the temple and they're admiring how awesome it is. And their mindset is, this temple's so awesome, it's got to last forever. Okay? And uh, the truth is, is that things change, things are always changing, but sometimes things catastrophically change. Uh, there was a time in church history when Rome was the Christian city, and the Caesars were, were Christians, and they just thought, this is so great, this is going to last forever, until it w- the city was sacked and destroyed. And wherever we're at, we tend to think things are so great, this is going to last forever if we're having any good times, right? You know, we're living, uh, we're living north of the USA. We're kind of like one of those birds that sits on the back of a rhinoceros and gets carried around and just always has something to eat. Thank you, rhino- rhinoceros. And, and things are so good. You know, we've got free health care. And uh, we also have, you know, poutine. And between those two things, we have the best existence ever in Canada, right? Or maybe Shimon fat and farmer sausage for those of us in the center of, of the nation. So things are so good. This, this has to last forever, right? It's so good. And the truth is this will not last forever. If Jesus tarries, if he takes another thousand years to come back, this, this just will not last forever. Nothing lasts forever. And so Jesus is confronting him with the fact that actually God has a very different plan than what we expect. This temple, which looks so hot, it's, actually, it's days are numbered. It's got about 37 years left, and then it's going to be absolutely destroyed. Not just broken down, not just out of order, absolutely, utterly, catastrophically destroyed. And so they respond like many of us would respond when we're sitting with somebody who appears to have secret knowledge of the future. So let's start talking days and times. Let's start talking months, days, and times. Um, how am I going to know this is going to happen? Because if bad things are coming, I want, to, uh, I want to feel in control of this. I want you to tell me when it's going to happen so I can plan my vacation. You know, I've only got three weeks of vacation every year, and so if the meteorite is going to be hitting downtown Steinbeck on August 23rd, I want to make sure I'm in Cancun on August 22nd. You know, we, this is what happens. They, they believe that Jesus is speaking the truth, and so they start asking for times because we think if we just knew the times, we could manipulate our way through the scenario and we could come out ahead, right? You may have seen any of those sci-fi TV shows where somebody invents a time machine and they go back before one of the best stock market trading days that will ever happen and they're going to go back there and they're going to invest in McDonald's like the day after McDonald's goes public and they're going to make a million and they're going to, then they're going to go a few years forward and they're going to invest in Apple like Forrest Gump did in the movie and they're going to get so stinking rich because they knew the future, And this is what the disciples are trying to do here. Oh, bad stuff's happening? Why don't you tell me the future so that I can manipulate my way through this towards my advantage? And Jesus doesn't play ball with them. He responds to their desire for knowing what to do in the future by instead of giving them times and dates, he says to them two things. He gives them two commands. Number one, don't get led astray. And number two, don't be terrified. See that you are not led astray. For many will come in my name saying, I'm he, or the time's at hand. Don't go after them. And when you hear wars and tumults, don't be terrified. Jesus is saying to them, you're about to go through turbulent times. 
I'm not going to tell you what's going to happen tomorrow. Instead, I'm going to tell you, don't get led astray and don't be terrified. And we can hear those same encouragements, those same commands. Okay, you guys are going through crazy days, or it appears like you are. Maybe tomorrow's going to be the first day of the best year of our lives. I don't know. But when things start going crazy, it's not a great time to start abandoning ship on Jesus or start looking for the nearest person to tell me that they can solve all the world's problems and put all my trust in them. It's time to cling to the Lord and to stay calm. Stay calm and read your Bible. And then he goes on from there. He says to them, Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be great earthquakes, and in various places famines and pestilences, and there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all, these, before all this, they will lay hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it, therefore, in your minds not to meditate beforehand how to answer for i will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict you will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends and some of you they will put to death you will be hated by all for my name's sake but not a hair of your head will perish by your endurance you will gain your lives these are nobody's life verses amen Nobody's got a paper up, or a poster up in their wall or in their bedroom that says, you will be hated by all. <laughs> I wake up in the morning when I'm feeling down, I just think about how I'm going to be hated by all. And it pumps me up. Get ready. Take it on. Nobody does that. Nobody does that. But this, this is like a real prophecy for the apostles about what life is going to be like. Okay, guys, you want to know the future? I'll tell you the future. There's going to be some earthquakes. There's going to be some wars. Um, nations are going to go to war against each other and they're going to use your hometown for their battlefield. Uh, by the way, with all those wars and earthquakes, there's going to be a lot of dead bodies and those dead bodies are going to start to rot and stink and a lot of disease are going to be impacting the people around those dead bodies. And uh, by the way, before all that stuff happens, people are going to arrest you, beat you up, throw you in jail and take you to uh, prison. And, uh, and some of those people who are going to get you arrested are going to be your mom and your dad and your brothers and your sisters, and they're just going to hate your guts. It's not going to be by accident. It's going to be because you worship me, and they're just going to hate you. Sign here. Anybody want to be a Christian? Anybody? We're recruiting. Recruiting now. Everyone hating you and prison and children's ministry? Anybody want to be a Christian? Come on. Anybody? No? Well, they didn't warn you. Now, I do know that, they, that Jesus is principally talking to the apostles because there are many Christians who live their life and they, they, they die and go to be with the Lord without getting arrested and without testifying before kings. He's primarily talking to the apostles who did have this happen to them. Uh, but there is um, an awesome lesson for everybody out of his encouragement here and it is an encouragement because of what he says in the middle he says this um, they will lay your hands on you and persecute you delivering you up in the synagogues and prisons and you will be brought before kings and governors for my namesake and here's encouragement this will be your opportunity 
to bear witness. This is your opportunity. So the lesson that he wants them to get, this is mental warfare, this is spiritual warfare of the mind, the truth that he wants them to get is that when they start seeing earthquakes, when they start getting arrested, they're supposed to think, Jesus is setting up for me a preaching gig. He wants me to preach to kings and governors, and in the wisdom of God, the best way to get an apostle to preach to a king is to get them arrested so that the soldiers will take them to the king's throne room so that he can have an audience with the king and he can preach. And that's exactly what happened through the book of Acts. Paul is repeatedly arrested and repeatedly brought to governors so he can explain the gospel. And sometimes he's in prison for like two years, repeatedly coming back to the same governor so that they can get a full... Apostle Paul, seminary education while he's in prison, living off the government's dime. That's the wisdom of God. We think you need to start taking people out for lunch and get a focus group together and then get a political group together and then, you know, if you become powerful enough and you start tearing up downtown enough so that everyone's worried that you're going to break more windows, then you can get in with a politician and get the message across. That's what we think. Jesus thinks, no, the best way to get you interviewed with the king is just to have you arrested. Just going to get you arrested, charged with like double homicide or something like that. And then when you get in there, you can say, well, it's actually Jesus. Let me tell you about him. And so he's saying to them, this is the mindset. God shakes the world for the sake of the gospel. God shakes the world to provide opportunities for the church to spread. God shakes the world. He puts the world through turbulence so that his message can get places it couldn't get to otherwise. Amen? That's what he's saying. I'm going to shake everything. I'm going to ruin your lives. Just don't forget that this is your opportunity to serve me, to be used by me, to be useful to me, to do what you couldn't do otherwise. If your life were easy and I never got you arrested, these opportunities would never come. This is pretty radical stuff, right? Because some of us just want to go to bed at 10 and wake up at 8, have some Mickey D's after the church, slime a jamma. You know, you get the McDouble and you put the junior chicken in the middle there and you get a humongous burger for like $4, which is great. And then if you get some fries, you can put the fries in there and stack it to the max. And it's like, you're just, I've already lost half of you right now. But we are not usually going through life saying, when my world is being shaken, it's because God is trying to set something up for me to be useful for him, which is exactly what he's telling the apostles. I'm going to ruin the world to get you to be able to preach to kings. That's Jesus talking. And then he says to them this, this crazy advice, which no teacher will give a student and no parent will give their kids in school. He says this, Settle it, therefore, in your minds not to meditate beforehand how you'll answer. Okay? You're about to go preach the kings. What I want you to do is don't study, don't prepare, don't take an apologetics course, don't Google on the internet how to preach the gospel to royalty. Don't do it. Settle in your heart. You're not going to prepare. You're not going to think about it. You're not going to try to stress out about it. You're not going to get excited about it. You're just going to try to ignore what's coming. Because... I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. Okay, so he's saying don't prepare because in these ways, don't prepare kind of thinking, well, if I do a background study on the king and I learn about his childhood and then maybe I think about some of the worldview dynamics there, I can find it in and the fact that we both went to Harvard University to get whatever. He doesn't try to do that. He says to them, this is so beyond you. The best way you can prepare for what I want to do for you is to just be weak and trust. 
Okay, just be weak and trust. You prepare by not preparing so that in the moment all you have is me and my promise to work through you. That's what he's saying. He's saying, I'm going to ruin the world to get you before a king, and the best way to prepare is to not prepare so that in the moment all you have is me to depend on. And when you're there and you've got nothing and nobody and no how and you're sunk and you're in prison and no one can rescue you and no one can help you and you haven't even thought about what to say, not that you could think about what to say because you could die. In a moment, I will give you a mouth and a wisdom that no one can stand against. That's awesome. And so the mindset that we're supposed to have is we kind of go through turbulent times. And I don't know tomorrow. I don't don't know. Like I said, tomorrow could be the beginning of the best decade of your life, of the best decade of the world. The most peaceful century of the world could start tomorrow. I could be just totally wrong on this one. But what I do know is that the same Jesus who is saying to these guys, I can move more powerfully through you than you could ever imagine. And what you need to do is not get in the way by thinking that you can actually help is the same Jesus who is here this morning and who lives in you and me. And some of us are repeatedly in situations where we're just going, I can't do anything, I have no clue what to do. And we think that it's because something's going wrong, but maybe, just maybe, all we're supposed to do is believe that we've been given the Holy Spirit and to fan into flame the gift of God that is in us through Jesus Christ and to depend on his love and his power and his self-control and just be like, I've got nothing, Jesus, so I need you to give me everything I need. Because Jesus said he was going to shake the entire first century of the world in order to bring the apostles to a place where they had nothing. And he would give them irrefutable wisdom and power of speech. So whatever happens, church, it is our opportunity. And sometimes we need to actually stop trying to be in control and be prepared so that in the moment we're practiced needing Jesus all the time. I was, you know, God has a great sense of humor. Uh, Last week, Greg and I were talking on Friday and he, he kind of wanted another spiritual challenge, something like that. Is that a fair way to describe it, or feeling like he could use one? That sounds like my take on it. Well, I'm the one speaking into the microphone, so my take is the take. And, um, and so I said, why don't you preach on Sunday? Because that's a challenge, to get told on Friday that you're preaching on Sunday when you are also like leading meetings and worship on Saturday. That's a challenge. So I was like, here's a face challenge. Why don't you preach on Sunday? And, uh, you know, you you say and do these things and you never think it's going to come back on you. And so I'm working on this message all week, this different message. And I'm just, I'm working on it, work, thinking about it, planning, get my scriptures, write things out, write down notes. And then uh, it doesn't quite fit. So I started a new message on Friday and I didn't get those notes, working things in. And yesterday at eight o'clock, I'm just, I just felt like the Holy Spirit said, this is the message. Yesterday, eight o'clock in the evening, different scripture, different title, different message. And we have this puppy that if you leave it alone for 10 minutes, it, it leaves a present. And so it's, like, it's not like I had time to just run off and study. So, I, I, so I, I knew what the scripture was. I kind of read through it, wrote down a few notes. My notes are essentially just the scripture. <laughs> and, uh, and I woke up this morning. It's like, I have nothing. I have nothing. I just have nothing. I just, Jesus, I just have so nothing. And my wife likes illustrations. 
And, and I'm not an illustrator. I don't do, I just, I get, I do volume. I don't do illustrations. And, um, and so I'm just, I'm making bread for my gatos. I'm just like, I don't have a sermon this morning, Lord. And, and it's like, yeah, that's the kind of servant I want. Somebody who goes into stuff going, I've got nothing. I've just got, all I've got is you, Jesus. All I've got is you and your promise that in the moment you will be there and you can do more through me in the moment, in my weakness, than I could prepare to accomplish on my own. Amen. And so that's, that's life. Whether it's a turbulent season or not, Jesus will repeatedly want us in places where we've got nothing so that we can just go, help, and see what he does. Amen? So he goes on from there. And he talks about the destruction of Jerusalem, okay? So he was talking about stuff leading up to it. Now he's going to talk about the actual destruction. He says, When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. So he's saying to them, Don't think that Jerusalem's going to rally. You know, don't think that they're going to come out like the underdogs in the Super Bowl and come back for a spectacular win. When there are armies around Jerusalem, it's already over. Jerusalem's toast. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains and let those who are inside the city depart and let not those who are out in the country enter it. For these are the days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. So what he's saying there is, you know, when armies start showing up to a big city like Jerusalem that had these huge walls, you could think that the safe place to be would be in that city behind those walls. And Jesus is saying it's not safe at all to try to find your security behind those big stone walls. It's just a great big pressure cooker, and Rome is going to eat them alive. So he's saying, run, run. Sometimes, what's the Christian thing to do in a fight? Run, you know, just run. I'm surprised sometimes how often Jesus says to run. If you get persecuted in one city, go to the next. It's kind of like, yeah, things are bad. People want to kill you. Okay, just leave. Just go somewhere else. You'll find somebody to preach the gospel to. There's lots of people who haven't heard. Sometimes he says to stay. Sometimes you get caught, and you get dragged before the kings, or drugged, or dragged dragged, dragged, whichever is the right word. But he says, don't go into Jerusalem. This isn't your fight. Run. And then he says, alas for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, for there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against this people. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Before I comment on that, um, I just want to say there are sometimes there are relationships where you don't have to continue trying to fight for it. I'm not talking about marriage. I'm not talking about family. But sometimes you can have friendships that just aren't working. And, and Jesus sometimes will say, it's just not going to work. Okay, so there, just you can move on. Sometimes Jerusalem has to go down. Sometimes people need to hit rock bottom. And so if that's you and that hits home for you, Anyhow, alas for women who are pregnant and for those nursing infants. What is this section supposed to do? He's, he's just telling the apostles, this is going to happen. Okay? It's, it's written. It's a fulfillment. It's been planned and predestined and prophesied. This is going to happen. And it's going to happen for a certain amount of times. It says that Jerusalem would be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. So he's even saying God has a certain amount of time where the Gentiles are going to rule. Or, or the Gentiles are going to be coming into the church. One of those two things. And uh, I, as far as I understand it, we are in the age of the Gentiles being brought into the church. The gospel has been traveling around the world. Are there any Jewish people in the room? Half Jewish? Quarter Jewish? Sixteenth Jewish? Okay, there's a couple. Okay. 
few guys. You should be sitting in the front row here then. And um, anyhow, most of us aren't Jewish. We're Gentiles. And we've been brought into the kingdom kind of against what you would expect. We've been made sons and daughters of Abraham through faith, not by blood. And so this is the age of the Gentiles. But there will be a time, as I understand Romans, where there will be a massive ingathering of the Jewish people, which will happen right around the time of Jesus' return or something like that. Don't let me lose you on eschatological stuff. But Jesus is saying this is going to happen. It's not by accident. God is in control. God is ruling. Down to the details, this is the will of God. And in the midst of God doing his will, he gives two pieces of advice. Number one, don't be foolish. Run away. Don't be a hero. Run away. And don't lose your compassion. Okay, so he's talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. And in the midst of that destruction, he says, oh, it's going to be so hard for pregnant women and for women with young kids. Because when wars happen, they are the ones who bear the brunt of it the most. Moms and women. They bear the brunt of it of having their, their sons die as soldiers. They bear the brunt of it as not being able to defend themselves when enemy soldiers come in to do whatever they want to do. They're the most vulnerable to famine and plague and stuff like that. And so here's Jesus grieving over this, these people who are most vulnerable. And so he's telling us during uh, turbulent times, don't, don't forget the, the weak ones. Don't lose your compassion. Even when it, you know 100% that, that God is doing this. And he goes on from there and he says, And there will be signs in sun and moon and stars and on the earth distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the seas and the waves, people fainting with fear and with foreboding and what is coming on the world. For the powers of heaven will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your head because your redemption is drawing near. Um, this portion of scripture and the, its sisters in Mark and Matthew are some of the most debated scriptures about what's all going on and what Jesus means. So let's just be upfront and clear. You know, these are really debated passages. Um, one of the big debates is how much is Jesus just talking about first century stuff and the destruction of Jerusalem, or how much is he talking about present day history stuff? So are we sitting around, is, is this just history book stuff, or are we sitting around waiting for this stuff to happen? That's usually the big debate. When is this all going to be fulfilled? And I think largely this passage is about first century stuff. And I think that because it comes out of, Jesus is trying to answer their question. They said, he said, the temple's going to be destroyed. They say, what, when and what? And he is kind of answering these questions. I'm talking about the temple being destroyed. And he also ends this section by saying, um, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Okay, so that could be figurative. And this generation could just mean like sinners in general. But if he's being specific, he means this is going to happen within a human lifetime, which is what happened. 37 years later, it all happened. However, this passage here is the one that least fits easily into that understanding of this scripture. So I do wonder if Jesus is kind of pushing beyond talking about the destruction of Jerusalem into end time stuff. And so I just want to be clear and open with you guys about that. I kind of think that Jesus is talking bigger picture stuff than just what happened in 70 AD here. And he's talking about signs and suns and stars and moons, which could be supernatural events, but sometimes in scripture... um, these major things in our universe 
kind of symbolically stand for human governments and powers as well. You may remember when Joseph was having dreams about becoming um, the ruler of his family. It was the sun and the moon and the stars were bowing down to him, which meant his mom and his dad and his brothers. So there's kind of can be overlap in symbolism here. But whatever is happening here, what we do know is that people are losing it. People are so afraid. People are so concerned. People are so just disrupted that they cannot stay off their Facebook feed with what he did last, you know, and they, they're marching again, you know, it's like they don't even have time for jobs anymore because there's another march that needs to happen because somebody signed a piece of paper in the White House and so it's just, and then, and then the foreign leaders are making fun of this guy and then that guy and then, oh, another mass killing or another machete attack at the Louvre and, you know, just another thing and everybody's panicking, everybody's stressed out, everybody's worried, everybody's picking sides, everyone's starting the battle, everybody's deciding who needs to die in order for the world to go back to the way it was, whether it's this religion or that religion or this race or that race or children or old people, who needs to die in order for everything to calm down? And our answer is the Lord Jesus Christ. And he already has died and come back from the grave. But the world is going to be going crazy because God is shaking the heavens. And they'll see the Son of Man coming on the clouds with power, which is either Jesus' return at the second coming or a figurative description of his coming judgment over Jerusalem. But he says this, Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up, raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. So he gives the church like a 180 response on the world when the world is responding to weird events. He says, When all the editors at CNN are freaking out. You're supposed to puff up your chest and be like, maybe Jesus is coming back soon. And I'm a Christian. And I can't wait for him to come back. I, 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 when I look at how bad the world is, I don't think, how can I fix this? I think, when is he going to pull the plug on this thing finally? When is he going to come back and really, really fix things? When is he going to destroy sin forever? When is he going to throw the devil into the lake of fire? When is he going to come back and fix this? Jesus doesn't say when the world is going to um, the lake of fire in a handbasket, he doesn't say pick sides with all the war and factions. He doesn't say start doing identity pol politics and figure out which march you need to join. He, he doesn't say, he says, identify with Jesus and start getting really excited about the fact that your Lord is over and against all the sin and all the turbulence of the world and all the pride of man. He is going to come back and he's going to definitively destroy every evil thing and he's going to rule forever and ever and ever because you're a believer. You are going to co-rule with him. You are going to judge angels. You're going to rule over nations. You're going to have planets and stars that could belong to you. You could travel to Beetlejuice and it could be all yours because you co-own everything with Jesus. He's not saying panic and stress out and try to manipulate things and where are you going to invest for wartime profits? He's not, going to, he's not saying all that stuff. He's saying, raise your heads. The day of Jesus' return is closer than it was yesterday and closer than it was when Jesus' words were first put into the Gospel of Luke. So be proud of Jesus and look forward to His return and don't get distracted. When Jesus comes back, and when he's done 
cleansing everything and purifying everything. And when we start day one of eternal life in the new heavens and the new earth, you know what's never going to happen? No one's going to turn around and say, yeah, this stuff's pretty good, but you know what's really sweet? Steinbeck, 2015. Oh, yeah. That was a hot year. That was a so white year, 2015 and sign back. It's pre-Trump, pre, pre-2016 elections, pre-crazy. It was just so sweet. I was going to Calvary Chapel, weirdo preacher, but I liked the music. And uh, it was just so good, so good. That year was huge. I couldn't resist, couldn't resist. Nobody's, nobody's going to look back at one day of this life and say, I wish I could have that back. Not one day. Not one day, not your best day. Day one of eternity with Jesus and the fulfillment of all of God's goodness and having, having the Lord with zero separation from his awesome holy presence and not even one hint of an ounce of sin or shame or guilt or fear experienceable in a renewed body which will last forever and every day will feel healthier than the day before and every day will be more joyful than the day before and every day will be full with more creativity than the day before and better feasts than the day before. Nobody, nobody, nobody is going to look back at everything that gets shaken during our lifetime and go, I wish I had that. So Jesus says to them, when you see your world getting shaken, apostles, Straighten up your head because you don't have anything to lose in this life. Have confidence in Christ. So I'll skip over the parable of the uh, fig tree. But I'll just, I'll just say this. Jesus ends this passage by saying this. Watch yourselves. Lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness. Both of those words essentially mean drunkenness. And cares of this life. And that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and stand before the Son of Man. So this is how Jesus ends the, his, his teaching about the apostles going through the turbulence. And, this, and for us to hear and go through it, he says, watch yourselves and pray. Everything's getting shaken? Okay, watch your, watch your life, watch your faith, and pray. Pray you won't get led astray. Pray that your faith won't falter. Pray, pray for the nations. Pray for peace to... Re- Come back on the land. Pray for the good of the lost. Pray for the spread of the kingdom. Pray. Just, just pray you'll be able to stand at the Son of Man. And that final judgment comes that you won't have anything to regret. And that's, that's how we can, I think, best go through turbulent times. Believe in Jesus. Watch your heart. And pray. Pray for what's happening. Um, Pastor Dave, who is often here and often in Rwanda, had a turbulent experience, one of those kinds that you can't prepare for. He was invited to go to a genocide exhumation, I think is maybe how you'd say it. Um, 
in Rwanda, when they capture perpetrators of this genocide, there was about three or four months when 800,000 people were killed, mostly not with guns, but with machetes and stuff like that, and clubs. Um, and they would hide the bodies. And so when people would get convicted of being a genocide perpetrator, part of what they had to do was to say where they may have hid bodies. Okay? as part of their restoration. You have to tell us who you killed and where the bodies were buried. And so um, there's a law in Rwanda that if you find a body or if a body is exhumed that was part of the genocide, it needs to go one, to one of the national monuments. They co they're collecting all the corpses, all the bones. And uh, I've been to a couple of them, and it is holy ground. Um, and so he's invited to one of these events where the perpetrators of genocide are digging up the bodies of people that they murdered, murdered and buried, and those remains were, would be collected and then brought to one of these national monuments, and they asked him to speak. How would you prepare for that? Could it, there, there's, you can't. There's, you can't prepare. And so one of the things he said, which I really wrestled with for quite a while, but one of the things he said was... Um, I'm sorry I didn't pray. I, I kind of heard that this was happening in the news, and it was just something that was happening far away. And I'm sorry I didn't pray. And I think, as far as I understand the story, they were blessed to hear that. Because no matter what's happening, or where you are, or what you can and can't do, you can always pray for what's going on in the world, what's happening, what's happening in town, what's happening with people. You can always take a second and ask God to send his kingdom upon it. And that's what Jesus says. I'm going to shake the world. There's going to be turbulence. Pray. Pray for yourselves. Pray, pray, pray. Other places, the apostles will say, pray for leaders, pray for everything, pray for the spread of the kingdom. And we can do that. So, I'll start praying now. Maybe the team can come up and lead us in worship. And if you want to pray for these turbulent times, I just want to invite you to stand with me. If there's something in the news or in your family or in your own life that is turbulence, why don't we stand before the Lord who is so powerful, he can take a blank mind and give it wisdom beyond any opposition. He's so able. And why don't we lift up these situations to him? Uh, the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy says that we're supposed to pray for all rulers and all leaders that we would be able to live peaceful and godly lives. And so if he tells us to do that, he must mean that he wants to accomplish that. So why don't we take him at his word and do these things? Father, I just thank you for Jesus. I thank you for the word of God. I thank you that just as Jesus' words were fulfilled in 70 A.D., his promises are fulfilled in the world and he will come again. But in the meantime, Jesus, it seems like we're entering into a more turbulent age than many of us have experienced. And so, Lord, we pray for your kingdom to come and your will to be done. Father, would you do good to the leaders of this world? Would you give them wisdom and insight they don't deserve or couldn't earn? Lord, would you rule over and overrule decisions and speech? Father, would you quell um, identity politics and um, identity wars, Lord Jesus? Would you exalt the name of Jesus and the cross of Christ over all of these things? Father, I pray that you would have mercy on us 
and increase the spread of the gospel through our nations, Lord Jesus. Father, I pray that you'd bind up broken hearts. But Lord, we need Jesus. Things are not going to get better apart from the kingdom of God spreading. Father, my, my biggest desire is not so much that the big movements of the world would do this thing or that thing, but that from one person to the next and one family to the next and one couple to the next, you would be changing hearts and teaching us how to love our enemies and to love each other, that you would grant us humility and the desire to be servants of Christ wherever we're at. And so, Lord, I pray that you would give us great faith and powerful prayer and clinging to Jesus through turbulent times for your glory. And amen.